Good morning. Uh, it's a great joy for me and my wife to be uh, with you this morning, and uh, we are looking forward to uh, hear the Lord speak to our hearts. I hope you came this morning not to hear from a man, uh, not to hear the voice of a man, but to hear the voice of God speaking to your souls, speaking to your hearts. Um, I just want to be kind of like the John, John the Baptist in the wilderness, being a voice for the Lord Jesus Christ and say, prepare the way, Jesus is coming. Um, and sure enough, uh, he came then for the first time, but he's coming for the second time. And we, uh, we better be ready. Uh, we better be uh, willing to uh, do whatever it takes right now before he, uh, he gets here. Um, and part of that is missions. Uh, we often think that um, those who stand before us that serve in foreign countries are called missionaries. But uh, to be honest, we are all missionaries. And even more uh, important than that, we are ambassadors. Um, so you have a greater title um, that you can use wherever you go because you represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And uh, you have a great message, the message of reconciliation. And uh, as we were invited to make peace with God, so we have the responsibility to go and implore people uh, to make peace with our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to introduce myself for a few moments and, and kind of let you know what's, uh, what's going on in, in our life as a family. Um, I, I grew up uh, in Romania, the country of Romania, which was a uh, communist country for 45 years. Um, I was born in 1974 uh, in a family where my mom was a Christian and my dad was not. He was a Christian by name because Romania is about 89% Greek Orthodox, uh, which is very close to Catholic. Uh, and many people might call themselves uh, Christians, uh, but because of communism, uh, which claimed there is no God and atheism is basically the main religion. Uh, and because my dad had a very important position in the society as assistant chief of customs uh, for the border between Romania and Hungary, uh, he wouldn't come to church with us at all. Um, but he wasn't opposed uh, for my mom to take me and my sister uh, to church and wasn't opposed to uh, introduce us to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in fact, I, I could see my dad often on his knees praying. Um, and, and that was a little bit confusing because he wasn't coming uh, to worship with us. But at the same time, he was on his knees uh, praying because he, he grew up in a Greek Orthodox home. But because of the testimony of my, my mom, uh, he would often go to work and uh, he would go into this huge warehouse and take Bibles that were confiscated by uh, the Border Patrol, uh, the custom agents, um, and, and put those Bibles into his briefcase and bring them home and give them to my mom. And my mom would take them to church and give them to people who didn't have a copy of God's Word. Uh, so even as a lost man, God used him in a mighty way to get the word of God into the country and to the hands of the people, and most importantly, into the hearts of those who do not know Jesus as personal Savior. Uh, there were times when our pastor would uh, give information to my mom that friends from America would come, and they would fly into Vienna, Austria, and they would rent a car, and they would pack it with Bibles, uh, hoping that they could cross the border, and um, they would tell my mom, you know, they're driving this kind a car and this is the license plate and they're going to arrive at the border at this time. Uh, would you tell
tell your husband to do whatever he can to uh, make sure that they get through and he would uh, get to uh, the border and uh, he would, you know, lift up the, the trunk of the car and look in there and see all these boxes full with Bibles and close the trunk and wave them through and let them come into the country with uh, a car packed with Bibles. Uh, I often heard stories um, from people that would visit our church in Romania and say, you know, we were at the border and, and uh, we were praying that God would allow us to cross with all these Bibles and, and God blinded the eyes of, of the custom agent. And I, and I was wondering, I wonder if it's my dad. I know he's not blind, but I know he has a heart uh, for those who believe uh, on the name Jesus, of the name of our Savior Jesus. So, um, um, as I said, God had a plan for my dad and, and used him in a mighty way. Eventually, um, he came home from work one evening and, and, and a bee got in his car and uh, he lost control of the car as he was trying to get the bee out and rolled over with the car and totaled the car. And right there at the spot of the accident, uh, he remembered of an old promise he made to God um, and uh, said, God, I didn't keep my promise, but I am keeping my promise today and I want to give my life to you. So uh, he became a Christian at his baptism. There were secret informants in the uh, church auditorium who went and reported on Monday morning that my dad is a Christian, that he got saved, he got baptized, he was following the Lord Jesus Christ. He was called in, he was kicked out from the party, he was demoted, lost his job, kept without a job for many, many years, and eventually the president of an oil company, which in, in Romania, everything was state-owned, um, um, so there's no you know, private oil companies, but the director that was in charge there um, called my dad in and gave him a, a very uh, important job, kind of like a CFO of the company. And uh, the uh, president of that company was called in by the Communist Party and said, what are you doing? We're trying to keep this guy without a job. And you gave him a job, and not just any job, but an important job. And uh, the president of that oil company said, well, you know, I know he's a Christian, and as a Christian, I know he's not going to lie to me. I know he's not going to steal from me. I know he's not going to cheat the company, and I need somebody like that that I can trust in that position. So he kind of shut up the mouths of, of the communist leaders, and, and my dad was um, uh, the CFO for a, a couple of years, and, and then God called him to preach, and uh, he became a pastor. Um, he is uh, still serving. He's 78 years old and, and still going to many of the village churches that do not have pastors and, and serves there. So that's kind of like where I, I come from in Romania. In 1993, I ended up here in the States uh, through Chris's dad. And, and uh, um, I went uh, with Chris. He was my roommate. So I have stories on him as well. So... Um, you know, I, I was wondering why didn't he tell any stories? Uh, and that's probably the reason because I know stories of him. So, uh, but, but um, uh, in college I met my wife, uh, Shelly, and she's born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. And, and um, we got married and, and God blessed us with three beautiful children, uh, Michaela, Jack, and Bobby. And Michaela now is married, so we have a son-in-law uh, as well. And uh, uh, just a great guy. Um, and I thank God for that. And uh, we served in Romania from 1999 till 2014. 
Um, I was the lead pastor of Hope Baptist Church, a, a church that had many ministries, seven mission churches that we planted through the ministry of that church, a, a Bible institute where we would train young men to go and preach the gospel, uh, a camp ministry that we still work on. Um, we have received this property that we're trying to uh, remodel uh, so that we could use it at a, as a, uh, like a conf conference center or even for camps. Uh, um, I was telling the pastor, sometimes we actually go to the state orphanages and just take the staff and the kids of a whole orphanage and bring them to the camp and put a camp together for the kids for the whole week and kind of give a break uh, to the staff. And many of those orphans heard the good news and the gospel uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's what Jesus called us to do, uh, to not forget about the orphans and, and to continue to love those who are fatherless, those who uh, maybe are unlovable to some people, um, and just share the greatest love that we have experienced, the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I talked to the pastor a little bit and he told me um, what he would want me to, to speak about. And, and it was kind of like what I had in my notes. So I'm, I'm glad that our hearts were gelled together through the Holy Spirit uh, to bring the same message to you this morning. Um, but I am going to speak about the fact that uh, even though we are in America, the greatest nation on the face of these, this, this, this earth, um, and we are still enjoying freedom in America, I have noticed that people who are persecuted and people who are going through trials and tribulations and people that are burdened and people that have problems are closer to God than those who don't have any of that, those who live in freedom. And I believe freedom is a wonderful gift that we receive from God, but I call it a difficult game that many people want to play without reading the instructions. Um, and when you have the freedom that God is giving you and you are using in the wrong way, that freedom can turn into a bondage. In fact, Paul says, brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And I believe that the freedom that we have in America is given to us, not for ourselves, but for others. Unfortunately, in a society that we live today, we make everything about ourselves. We make everything about our wants and our desires. We make everything about our dreams. And we forget that there are people around us who are suffering. There are people around us who are burdened. There are people around us that are emptying their hearts and they're asking questions like, why? So what are we doing with the freedom that we still have in this country? Are we willing to set aside our preferences and are we willing to set aside even our political disagreements and say, Lord, I believe that you have, you have placed us here to show your grace. We have experienced as children of God the greatest gift, the grace of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ. But what are we doing with the grace we have received? Are we willing to give the same grace to those around us? There is a parable that Jesus gives about a servant who was owing the, owing the king a great amount of, uh, of money. And when he came before the king and the king asked for that debt to be paid, and the man started crying, brokenhearted, the king showed him grace and forgave him. Yet when he went out, and found somebody who owed him just a little bit of money, was not willing to show the same grace. 
And I feel that that's our story today. Even as Christians who have experienced the greatest grace of God, we have received it from the King of Kings and our debt was paid. Yet we are unwilling to show grace to those who disagree with us. We are unwilling to show the love of God to those who don't think the same way we think or maybe don't have the same stands as we do or maybe they don't have the same desires as us. So this morning, let me just remind you that we have received the greatest liberty of all. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the power of sin. And one day we will be free from the presence of sin as well. But while we are here, we are God's ambassadors. We are his messengers. And we have received the message of reconciliation and are called to ask people to be reconciled to God. That wasn't in my notes. That's free. <laughs> but I was, um, I was just going to say that as I lived under communism and lived under freedom here, I've seen Christianity under bondage. I've seen Christianity under pressure, under persecution. And I've seen Christianity under freedom. And to be honest with you, Christians under communism are hot on fire for the Lord, willing to pay any price. Yet under freedom, we become lukewarm, complacent, indifferent, with the lost sense of God's purpose for our life. After World War II, the People's Party came to Romania and came to power, which later became the Communist Party. And communism basically believes that there are no so social classes or they're all equal. Everyone is equal. And in that process of making everybody equal, they took the lands from all the people. I remember my grandfather telling me stories how they came over to his house and he was, he was in hiding, but he was newly married and loved his wife and came to see his wife and they caught him right when he came home and said, sign right here. And had to give up all his land and all the land of the country became part of the treasure of the Communist Party. So they would be the owners of everything, all the factories, all the plants, all the economy was owned by the Communist Party. As the lands were, was taken from the people, food was rationed. You were allowed only to use two pounds of sugar per month, per month, two pounds of flour, one liter of cooking oil, a pack of butter. And in some cities, even the bread was rationed. I remember my mom would say, now, we heard that there is meat coming to the store today. So what I need you to do is, I need you to check with me. I'm gonna go stand in line, but I need you to check with me every so often to make sure that a meat is there and then you'll have to stand there with me because they would only give you like two pounds of meat for the people that are in line, not the people that you have at home. So we would stand for hours in line to be able to buy some chicken because everyone was equal. Electricity was cut off many evenings. I remember doing my homework by a candle or a lamp and sometimes with the flashlight if we could find batteries. 
And every evening we would try to do our homework somehow uh, in that dark room. And, and, and when the light came on, we always cheered. Hot water, twice a week. You want to bathe? You got to make your schedule based on the time that they gave you hot water. And sometimes you wouldn't know when it, would, it was coming. So you could hear mom saying, hey, hot water's on. Better come on. Unless you want to take a, hot, a cold shower, which often we did. Gas was rationed. You were only allowed to buy five gallons of gas per month. Christianity, though, was flourishing. Christianity was going, people growing, people were willing to die for the Lord and willing to live for the Lord, willing to do whatever it takes so that the gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ would reach many. I can give you many stories. I'll, I'll just give you one story or, or two. One of the pastors of Romania was very well known. He was arrested and placed in jail because he would preach the gospel over and over again. And even upon his release, he would go back to the pulpit and preach the gospel. And this time they put him into this cell where they took all his clothes from him, stuck him into a cold cell, um, very, very damp, and gave him a blanket with a bucket for his waist in a corner. And often he would be taken out by this guard who really hated the pastor and, and uh, give him an extra beating and then place him back in with this blanket and he would cuss him out and cuss God and cuss Jesus. And one evening though, this guard took him out and set him on a, on a chair and tied him up and took the waste basket from the cell. And he poured it down the mouth of the pastor and said, this is the body of your savior that was broken for you and the blood that was shed for you. And then he threw him back in a cell and the pastor couldn't even lift up his eyes toward heaven and say, have mercy on him. Because he was so ashamed of what just happened and how the name of God and the name of Jesus was blasphemed by this guard. One night, though, this guard forgot his coat at home in that cold prison. And God told the pastor, do you, you see him sitting over there? And he said, yes. He, and God said, you forgot his coat at home. Would you be willing to give him your blanket? And the pastor said, no way. I'll, I'll never do that. I'm not going to give him my blanket. And the same small voice said, Richard, I, I, I gave him my son. And you're not willing to give him your blanket? And the pastor argued with God for a while and he eventually took the blanket and threw it through um, to, to, the, to the guard and said, sir, you, you need this more than I do. And the guard took the blanket and told the pastor, how, how can you show me so much love after all I've done for you? After all the torments and the beatings, how can you show love? And that was the open door for the pastor to share the greatest love, the love of Jesus. And that evening, the guard gave his life 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the guard came and said, you know, I have marital problems. And the pastor, even though in jail, would counsel him how to be a good husband and put his marriage back together. And then the guard shared with the other guards, and about 30 guards got saved because this man of God was willing to give up his blanket and open the door to share the love of Jesus. There were many churches that were destroyed. There are Christians who would be inside the building trying to protect their church building. And they were thinking, well, if we are inside, they're not going to tear it down. And that wasn't the case. They would bring the bulldozers and tear down the buildings, even with Christians inside praying and praising God. Though the bondage was difficult to bear, the church was growing and multiplying and Christians were on fire, loving God, serving him, living for him, committed, willing to pick up their cross daily, deny themselves and follow Jesus. So what are we doing with our freedom? Right after the fall of communism, we, we prayed for freedom for many years. We didn't think it would ever come. But in 1989, the revolution started actually with a reformed pastor who is about to be taken away to an undisclosed location, and the people of the church gathered at his parsonage and made a human chain and then invited other churches to come, and they joined them and continued to make that human chain, and they couldn't take the pastor away. And then they started yelling slogans against the communist dictator, and the crowd grew and grew some more to the point where it was ordered for the army to come against the people. And many people died in 1989 and shed their blood on the streets that I walk on today. I could take you downtown the city where I was pastoring and you can still see the, the bullets that got stuck in walls. So people died for freedom, just like People die for the freedom that you enjoy today. And we ought to be grateful for those who gave their life. And we ought to cherish the freedom that we have. But suddenly, we had an open door to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we could go downtown and, and, and stop on a, a, on a flower bed and, and just say, hey, can, can we have your attention? And you have 50, then 100, then 200 people stop and listen to you preach the gospel. And many of them would kneel down and ask the Lord Jesus to save them. I remember as we were transporting Bibles from, from the bus to the place where we were going to give it to the people, somebody stopped me and said, what do you have in that box? And I said, we got Bibles. They're free Bibles. We're going to give them over there. But he started yelling, hey, he's got free Bibles. And people jumped all over me. And everybody tried to get a copy of God's word. And I ended up being on the ground holding an empty box. Because people were hungry for the word of God. We could go into a, a, a town and and rent the cultural hall, which was basically a wall that the communists built to propagate their ideology. And now we would go in and an hour before the service and invite people to come, and you'd have 500, 600 people come to these cultural halls where we could share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
same buildings that were built by the communists. We had freedom. And we wanted to use that freedom so that others may know the greatest freedom there is. If the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So we wanted to share that freedom is not just on the outside, but the greatest freedom is the freedom on the inside that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't know what to do. We started praying like never before. I mean, we prayed under communism. I remember my mom would go to prayer meetings and, and they would change locations because often they would be followed and you weren't allowed to meet in homes, you know, more than four people or five people, but you'd have 20, you'd have 30 people coming just to pray. But now we could pray at church and every morning from 5.30 to 6.30, I remember before going to school, I would go to the house of the Lord and pray for an hour with 200, 300 people who would get up early to come together and pray that God would free the hearts of the Romanian people. And then on Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. for two hours, about 1,000 people would come just to pray. But then we, um, we as Christians, even in Romania, we got complacent. You go to the same prayer meeting today. I don't think you'll find 20 people, probably about 15. Why? We have everything. Food is not rationed. We have nice church buildings. We drive nice cars. Parking lots are full. What happened? We forgot the purpose we're here for. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. And I know that this is a promise that God made to Solomon and the people of Israel, but there are some principles there that are undeniable. And I do believe that if we as God's people would practice these principles in our life, we would see a personal revival and we would see revival in our churches and we would see a healed land. And I don't think there is anyone in this room that could honestly say America's fine. We don't need any healing. But I believe every one of us would say we are in trouble. And if we don't get on our faces before God and if we don't pray and if we don't practice what we read and what we say is important to us, we are in trouble. And I'm, I'm not here to shame everybody that's not the purpose i'm not I, that's that's not what i'm trying to do but i'm i'm trying to wake us up to the fact that we are still the answer that god has for america and for the world if 
my people. If my people shall humble themselves. And I love the fact that God is our friend. I love the fact that he's our daddy. And we can come to him and we can tell him anything we want. And he hears, he listens. But at the same time, let's not forget that he is the creator. Let's not forget that he is Yahweh. Let's not forget that he is Jehovah. Let's not forget that he is the I am. Let's not forget that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and there is none like him. And when we come to him, we must humble ourselves and realize that we are nothing without him. And there is nothing we can do, not even the breath we have in our lungs. We wouldn't have it if it wasn't for him. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of man and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. If we want to be Christ-like, we must Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that in due time he may exalt us. You don't need to exalt yourself. You don't need to fight with your elbows. Just humble yourself and God will exalt you. We need to pray. We need to pray like Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, it's interesting in that passage, and I love it so much that after... Abraham received the news that Sodom is going to be destroyed. Scripture says that Abraham stood yet before the Lord. He didn't say, oh, well, amen, they deserve it. I'm out of here. I'm in a hurry. I got so many things to do. He stood yet before the Lord, and then Scripture says that he drew near. He stood there, but then he drew near and he said, God, I'm just going to come close to you. I want to talk to you. I want to pour my heart to you. And he started praying, Lord, if you find 50 righteous people within the city, would you spare the city for the sake of the 50 righteous that you'll find there? And God said, Abraham, if I find 50, I promise you, I won't, I, I won't destroy the city. Well, God, I'm, I'm going to speak again, maybe 45, maybe 40, maybe 30, maybe 20. How about 10? Lord, I'll speak one more time. If you find 10 people, would you spare the city? Do we pray that way for our lost friends, for our lost relatives? Are we pouring our heart to God, our tears to God? And saying, Lord, please have mercy. I heard the story of an evangelist that came to a church. And after the service, the mother of a guy who was in prison came to him. And he said, my son is in prison. Would you go visit him? And the pastor asked the evangelist, what did the woman want? And he said, well, she, she wants me to go visit her son in prison. 
And he said, he gave me this little bottle and he went and visited the son. And the son started cussing and blaspheming the name of Jesus. And, and as the, the evangelist was living, he put that little bottle on the table and said, hey, this is from your mom. And he said, what is this? And he said, these are the tears of your mother in prayer for you. And he stood up to walk away. And he said, preacher, would you come back? And that day the son gave his life to Jesus. Do, do we cry like Abraham cried for Sodom and Gomorrah? Do, do we cry for America the same way? Do we pray? You know, what's interesting if you, I guess, I don't know if it's only on iPhones, but on my iPhone, usually on Sunday, if I go right now, I get a report, a weekly report, how much time I spent on that stupid thing. And I often ask the question, God, have I spent that amount of time on my knees before you? That's a good question for everyone in this room. Seek God's face. Isaiah saw the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he sought the Lord. And he's, as Isaiah drew near to the Lord, as he sought the Lord, while he was able to find him, he turned from his wicked ways. He realized that he's unclean dwells in the midst of a people of unclean lips and his eyes have seen the Lord and said, Lord, have mercy. I wonder if we would be willing to pray with David, search me, O God, and know my heart, know my thoughts, see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, God. Search me. I wonder if you'd be willing to say this morning, Lord, would you, would you search my heart? Would you search my thoughts? Second Chronicles 6.29, Solomon prays to God and he says, Then what prayer or what supplication soever shall be made of any man, or of all thy people Israel, when everyone shall know his own sore, would you hear? Solomon said, Lord, if there is one man that comes and he prays, would you hear? And he started with one man and then he said, and all thy people. Because it starts with a, with a man. So it start, starts with a person who says, Lord, I'm, I'm going to take this seriously. I, I don't want to waste the freedom that I have. I want to be your ambassador. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. So this morning as God looks at Monclova Road Baptist Church. 
And he's saying, I am seeking for a man. I'm seeking for a woman who would be willing to stand in the gap for me, who would be willing to intercede for the land. I pray that he won't be able to say, but I found not. But I pray he'll be able to say, I found one, I found two, there's the third, there's the fourth. People that are willing to say, I'll stand in the gap. I'll humble myself and pray and seek your face and turn from my wicked way so that you can hear from heaven, forgive my sin and hear my land. Would you bow?